blacks versus whites. And then you say, well, you left out some. So then you've got the other people that would say, wait, there's, there's a divide. So you've got separate groups, but these groups aren't important. You've got those that are saying, everybody must wear a mask. And then you have some that are saying, no one should wear a mask. And then you should have some that say, well, I don't know what I think. Well, you've got, you've got division everywhere. You know, you look around in the world and there's so many people that are divided about a hundred different things and those are just to name a few. But as you think about division, you understand there's a lot of different things in which we divide over. There's a lot of different things in which people get caught up in and you know, the facts are everybody has an opinion. And if you want to know an opinion, just get on Facebook because everybody's going to, to pass it around. You know, you've got the younger generation that, that, that says, well, we don't use Facebook. And then you've got everybody my age and above. Well, we get on Facebook and we share what we think. You know, we, we share what our opinion is. So if you want an opinion, you get on Facebook. And we're going to bring that in in a little bit because we've got all these opinions that people are excited to share. We've got all these different thoughts that we want to tell the world what we think because my opinion's important. You know, in fact, as you get online, I would bet that uh, less than 5% probably ever changed their mind based off of a Facebook post. But we've got 100 different opinions and, and it's all shared on the World Wide Web. But this morning, I want to talk about something that's much more important to be shared. Go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 today as we consider Christ our reconciler. You know, division is not something new. Division has gone on from the very beginning. You go back to Cain and Abel and there was a division between them. They were brothers and yet there was division between them. You go back to that, that account and you see there's a death that occurs because of that division. And the division was all because one wasn't doing what was pleasing to the Lord. Well, you go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to see two distinct groups. Ephesians chapter 2, begin in verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcisions, by what that is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. All right, so he says, hey, you've got you Gentiles who are called Gentiles by the Jews. That's why we've got the, the circumcision and the uncircumcision as it represents the group that it stands for. Uh, we've got the, the Gentiles who were looked down upon by those of the circumcision, the Jews. So the Jews looked down upon the Gentiles, and the Gentiles likewise didn't like the Jews. And so we had this group. We have this separation between them. We've got the Gentiles... And we've got the Jews. You're either a Jew or you are a Gentile. You don't fall into any other group. You know, I've often looked at groups, you know, there's only, there's only two kinds of people in the world. There's people that like pizza and then there's people that don't. There's, there's only two kinds of people in the world. You can always make a separation. You've got people that have brown hair and then you have people that don't. But there's two distinct groups. You've got Jews or everybody else. And so in Ephesians chapter 2... He says, remember that, that, it, that at a time there were Gentiles, and as he's writing to them here in Ephesians, in verse 12 he says, at a time you were without Christ. You know, there was something missing. There was something not available to them. Well, 
as I think about Christ, you know, Christ is the ultimate barrier remover. He is the one that, that is able to bring two groups together. You know, I think of Galatians chapter 5, 5 and verse 6. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, there talking about Jesus, it says, For in Christ there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision that avails anything, but faith working through love. So he says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about after the, after the death of Christ, everybody being brought together in that group, the church. You know, you remember back as you, you think about the Gentiles, Jesus, well, they're, they're written to in Corinth. You go back to, to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 13. 9 through 11, and he, he lists off sins, you know, adulterers and idolaters. And you've got this, this long line or long list of sins. And he says, but such were some of you, but you're washed. You're cleansed. You're sanctified. They were, they were set apart for something greater. There we see Christ, the reconciler, the one that brings them together, the ones that brings about change. So we see they remember their origins. You go back and they were, they were caught up in sin. They were lost. They were dying because of sin. And yet Jesus says, look, Jews and Gentiles, both groups aren't anything anymore. It's not about whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, but rather we're all brought under the canopy of Christ. The problem was they were needing hope. As you look in verse 12, he says, at the time you were without Christ. You didn't have Christ. Without Christ, obviously, you have no hope. And it says they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Man, can you, can you imagine being in a position of no hope? Well, without Christ, that's, that's where we stand. You know, in Christ, you look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, and we see that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. You can look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, it says that Jesus came to his own and they did not receive him. And so ultimately, it, it's not going to be shared with the Jews only, but rather the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. It's going to be shared with them. In verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. That's John chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. As you consider the Jews, they had the, the promise. You can go back to Genesis chapter 12. We see the promise made. How that in the Jews all were going to be blessed. Through, through the Jews, Christ was going to come. And ultimately, all could be saved because of it. But as you look at Genesis chapter, chapter 12 and you see the promise that's made, the point was the Jews were something special at this point because there's no other way for the Christ to come but through the Jews only. And so you go down and you remember back and they needed hope. They needed hope for the future. Christ comes and he, he preaches to his own, John chapter 1 and verse 11, and yet they didn't receive him. They didn't want to hear his words. They didn't want to follow along. But let's think in today's context. You know, today we can be without hope. 
just as the Jews were without hope, because outside of Christ, there is no hope. You know, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23, Jesus speaking there, he said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work or practice lawlessness. Those that were evil, those that weren't striving for Christ, look, they didn't have, they didn't have hope. You can go back to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 12, I believe you've got the, the ten there. And as they came and they weren't prepared, as they stood there ready to meet the Lord, and yet they didn't have enough oil, so they had to leave. They weren't prepared. They weren't, they weren't standing there ready. So you go down to verse 10, while they went to the by, they had to go get some oil. They went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came back saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. In verse 12, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And the point is, we need to be ready at all times because we want hope. Remember the Gentiles? They stood without hope. But our hope must be in Christ. Ultimately, being without hope leads to death. That's the only, the only option if we're without hope, if we don't have Christ, if we don't have a Savior, we have no hope. And notice we must, we must put our love in the Father. You know, as we consider the distinct groups in the world, it's not about taking a side. There's one side that's important. It's God's side or the other side. You know, in John chapter, 1 John, sorry, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and following, we see you've got the love of the world or the love of the Father. Which one will you choose? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, it says, Do not love the, the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. Go to verse 17. He says, And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. All right, we can think back to our distinct groups. You've got the Jews, you've got the Gentiles. We've got two distinct groups, and yet they need hope. And so where are they going to find hope? Let's go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 2. The next two verses, verse 13 and 14. In verse 13 it says, but now. All right, what do you mean, but now? Well, we just had the we just had the 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 rules laid out. We've got we've got Gentiles and Jews. We understand they're separate. We understand there's no hope. There's they're without God. They didn't have what the Jews had. They weren't God's chosen people. And now in verse 13, he starts out and says, but now. When you see that but now, it's obviously things have changed. Something's occurred. There's something different going on. So he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Go down to verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now, there was something that separated them. There was something that separated the Jew from the Gentile, verse 11 and 12. And there was something that 
push them apart. And now you get down to verse 13 and 14, and there's something that brings them together. He says, we're brought together by the blood. They're brought together, they're brought near by the blood of Christ. We're bound by the blood. You know, as Christians, we've got something to work together on. We've got something that's more important than all the, than all the things that go on, all the outside noise around us. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers. But, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or blemish. We're purified, we're justified, we're made whole, we are forgiven, we're redeemed by that blood. We're redeemed by that sacrificial lamb which Christ was. And that, that lamb that was offered is what draws us together no, what, no matter what group you stand in. If you're in the back of the bus or if you're in the front of the bus, He brings you together. If you were Jew or you were Gentile, he brings you together. If you were on my team or the opposite team, if you're black, if you're white, if you're tall, if you're short, you know, throughout history there have always been dividing points. I remember growing up in school and they'd say, all right, the shorter one's at the front, the taller one's at the back. Well, I was always in the shorter group. There was a separating group and it just so happened that I fell in the one and everybody else fell in the other. You've got groups in every single aspect of life, and it just so happens that when you get on a team, there's something about, well, my group's going to be better than the other group. So you've got the tall and the short. You've got the skinny and the fat. You've got the dark and the, and the light. You've got, you've got so many things, and the facts are that people, people divide over it all the time. But yet we are drawn together by the blood of Christ. You know, as as we think about the church, think about all the restrictions that Christ made. You know, you had to be a minimum of five foot eight. You know, you had to be a, a minimum of having a certain color of hair. You had to be a minimum of this or that. You know, Christ didn't, didn't give any guidelines except for that of putting him first. Within the world today, there's so many things that divide us, but there's one thing that can draw us together. And so we see the sacrifice of Christ. You go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, we see in the Lord added to the church daily there. We see those, those that were being saved because they were added to the church through their obedience to the gospel in Acts chapter 2. They were added to the church. There they found hope. They were drawn together. They were added to that assembly, the group of the saved. And now we've got something more important in common than anything that could divide us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. He said, Now I plead with you, brethren, be the, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He says you can join together. You can join hands. You can be excited. You're on a team. You're working for the Lord. You have a purpose. There's something greater than all the outside noise and whatever it is that divides us. That's the issue. There's something that we can come together on. 
Mankind must come together underneath the canopy of Christ. You know, in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, I don't know that I ever really understood it until one day Billy was teaching it in class, and I said, now it makes sense. In Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, as he's looking forward to the church, as he's looking forward to the coming together under Christ and how that there, there didn't have to be the fights among them because they could unite under the blood of Christ. He said, He will judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. It's no longer, no longer the war between them. Their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall there learn war anymore. We don't have the war under the canopy of Christ within the, the future of the church that was coming. And in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4, he said, Look, we'll have something to agree on. You won't have the separation of the Jews and the Gentiles. You had the chosen ones back when it was written. And he says, Look, all will be gathered under the canopy of Christ. There's no man that's excluded. All can be saved. All can have the same hope through Him. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, there as Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the church of the living God. Look, there is a manner in which we can live and act and be drawn together as a group because of Christ. There is something that is different with Christians. There is a different conduct within the church. And so therefore, when Paul was writing, he said, I'm writing so you can conduct yourself correctly. All right, so we see the, we see the different groups. There were two distinct groups. We see the two distinct groups that are drawn together. Now that they're put together, though, what do we need? We need peace. We've got the distinct groups drawn together, and now we're going to deliver peace. Go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15 through 18. Here it says, "...having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create himself one new man from two, thus making peace." All right, you might want to read it again to together what's going on here, but we have two groups of people. We have Christ that comes. He abolishes the, the war that's between them. So we have this enmity, he says, between them. The law of commandments, how that the, the children of Israel were under the old law. They lived by the old law. That was their law. It wasn't given to the Gentiles. And yet, as they lived under that law... Now there's a stigma and there's a fight. They say, well, I'm a Jew. Stay away from me. I have no dealings with the Gentiles or the Greeks. I don't do anything with you, but rather I'm a Jew. I'm the Holy One. And so, therefore, we're separate. And so in verse 15, he said they abolished that enmity between them because they got rid of the, or took out of the way, he fulfilled the old law, and the law wasn't what they were living, living by then. He says, contained in ordinances so as to create himself one new man from two. So we have Jews and Gentiles that come together underneath the abolishment of the old law so that we could all live under the new covenant, which is Christ. The two distinct groups came together underneath the canopy of Christ. You know, there was something special. I remember being, being young and, uh, you know, you grow up and 
And as you grow, you find this sweet little girl that you get to share an umbrella with. Okay, and so, so it starts to rain, and so you hold the umbrella, and you both stand real close underneath the umbrella, and you get to share the canopy that protects you. All right, when you look at the church, there is the canopy that protects us, that draws us together. Christ is the canopy that makes it so that we can all, no matter what we look like, no matter how tall we are, no matter, no matter what differences we have, we can all be drawn together as one. We're reconciled by Christ. That means to make friends. That means to, to be brought together as, as a great friendship that we can enjoy. Now, I really don't know how it takes place as the... Uh, the time goes, you know, you, you share that umbrella. I feel like now it's, it's totally different. The sharing umbrella is, since it's Anna's umbrella, I get to drop her off underneath the canopy, and she walks inside and lets me use the umbrella. Either way, we still share it, right? But there is a canopy, which is Christ, which covers and draws us together. It draws us in so that we don't have the rain fall down on our backs. And so as we think about the distinct groups, there are distinct groups today. People divide over everything. But yet we've got to understand that the canopy is still there so that Christ can shed the rain. So that the, the evil, so that the, the bickering and the warring and the, the whatever we must be protected from can be shed off. It can be pushed away. Christ came to deliver peace. Go ahead and we'll read verse 16 through 18. It says, And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. No longer a war between them. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. Verse 18, it says, For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father, Jew and Gentile, together at last. Look, as Christians, we've got to understand the, the middle wall, the divider, has been brought down. We have something that's a uniter. That uniter is Christ. He's the reconciler. You know, you can look at Romans chapter 7. We see that, that peace comes from the new law. That's what the new law brings about. Romans chapter 7. Beginning in verse 4, it says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law. No longer are they under the old law. Now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of letter and not in the Sorry, newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. No longer is it about the old law, but rather we're all brought together under Christ, and so therefore we're united in Him. Notice in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, the old was taken out of, way, was taken out of the way. It was done away with. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. At the death of Christ, we have that law that separated the separated the Jew and Gentile, and they were brought together under the newness of the Spirit. What we're referring to is the new law, the new commandment, the new testament or covenant. 
Christ was that line between those covenants. He was the one, he was the breaking point. He's the one that took out those ordinances that were against us. Now, why is it that the ordinances would be referred to as against us? Because you couldn't live it perfectly. Because you couldn't keep the law, the Old Testament, and you didn't do it perfectly. Well, there was no forgiveness in the blood that was offered of a sheep or a bull or any other offering that was made. But yet within Christ, the offer is given. The gift was given. The blood was shed. And so therefore, today we have hope. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 through 17, it says, For this reason, He is the mediator of a new covenant. He's that dividing line between the old covenant and the new covenant, which is also the dividing line between division and division. But rather now, because Christ divided the division, all are united under that canopy. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Redemption was found in Christ. Redemption was the hope in Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. It says, In whom we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is found in Christ. You know, as we look at it, we have division all around us. And as you think about division, I want to tell you today, there's only one thing that unites people. There is no uniter that compares to Christ. Sure, if you put them on a sports team together, you know, you're going to have a group that votes for them. The problem is there's going to be another sports team that divided that group of people so that one group votes over here and one group votes over here. But rather, when we've got Christ, it puts us all under one group, puts us all on one team so that we work together. You know, peace is available to all. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 4, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2 it says, Through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which, by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Look how that, that fits so well with Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 18. They've got hope, faith, grace, all of it tied together under the canopy of Christ. Look, as we close, I want you to recognize Christ is the Prince of Peace. What we're looking for in the world is peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, at the end of the verse. It says His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and notice, Prince of Peace. You look at God. God is the God of peace. Romans chapter 15 and verse 33, it says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then finally, what's the most important this is where our job comes into play is Romans chapter 10, verse 11 through 15. And we've got the gospel of peace. If you want peace in the world, if you want, if you want division to be broke down, the way that it takes place is through the canopy of Christ. Go back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 11, it says, the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, to keep 
Well, let's go ahead in verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. We're talking about the same division that there was in Ephesians chapter 2. There's no division between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. Now notice verse 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Keep it in context. What are we talking about in verse 13? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What do you say in verse 13? Jew and Greek. Both groups of people are able to be saved under the canopy of Christ. We're wrapping up, I promise. Verse 14, now, now, how then shall they call on whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, and they, how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Preach the gospel of peace. Now, I know that within today's society, we use the word uh, uh, preaching and and. You know, you have a, a title as a, as a preacher. Well, Romans chapter 10, the preacher is not specifically Mike, nor is it Jared or Billy or any specific person. The preacher that we're referring to in Romans chapter 10 is you. In Romans chapter 10, we are the ones that are responsible for sharing the gospel of peace. Now, I talked a little bit at the beginning of at the beginning of class, or the beginning of the lesson, about how we're all eager to share what we think. You know, it seems to me as we get online, everybody wants to tell what they think. No one's opinion is, no one's opinion is changed, but yet I fear the only opinion that matters to be shared is the fact of God's Word, the gospel of peace. You want good things to come? This is what we share. This is the hope for the world. There's nothing else that provides it. There's nothing else that compares. And so I encourage you, as you think about bringing down the, the wall of partition, as you think about bringing down the dividing walls that divide people, there's one thing that unites. And if we share this, not only do we have hope, but the world has hope. And ultimately, more can be saved through the gospel of peace. If you haven't given your life to Christ, it's very simple. Be willing to put your faith in Christ, understanding that Jesus was the Messiah, being willing to turn from sin, being willing to, to make that great confession that you want to put Christ first. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Understanding that we're going to make a commitment where we're immersed in the waters, but we rise up to walk in newness of life. We live in a different way. We are committing to the Lord our life to be His servant. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I beg of you, make the change today. We want you to be obedient to the gospel of peace and provide peace to those that are around us. If you haven't given your life to Christ, make a change right now as we stand and sing.
prepared to partake of the Lord's Supper, we will sing number 176, Lamb of God. Your only Son, no sin to self-contained cups as you walked in. If you did not, there are gentlemen in the back that will pass them out to you. So if you did not, please raise your hand. Okay, we're good. 
This morning I'd like to read to you from Luke chapter 22, verse, verses 14 and following, where Jesus himself instituted the Lord's Supper. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took of the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. As we, get, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, I'd like for everyone to put away worldly thoughts, the things that are bogging our minds down uh, in this world, and let's put all that aside as we concentrate our thoughts and our prayers to God in thanksgiving for Christ's sacrifice not only for his sacrifice, but also for his teachings, his example, and in my opinion, the most important part, which is his resurrection, the victory over death, the victory over Satan. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you were willing to give your son for, for our sins. We're thankful for his willingness to leave heaven, being equal to you, and becoming a man here on this earth to lead by example, to be the perfect, unblemished lamb, to be led to the slaughter. We thank you, Father, for his sacrifice upon the cross, shedding his blood for us so that we may be, become sinless in, in your eyes again. We ask, Father, as we partake of this bread, that you will bless it and allow us to put away all worldly thoughts. And we thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us. In Christ's most holy name we pray. Amen. Shall we continue? Our Heavenly Father, we continue our prayer to you, asking your blessings upon this cup, this cup that represents the shed blood upon the cross for our sins. We thank you, Father, for the precious blood of Christ and for all that it does for us daily as it continues to wash us clean in your sight. We ask, Father, for your forgiveness for any sin that's in our lives. Allow us all to partake of this cup in a worthy manner. In Christ's most holy name we pray, amen.
Thank you, Jared. Appreciate your sermon very much. We appreciate your presence with us. Uh, Lee, how many? 164. 164. Well, we're glad for each and every one present, and we're glad for those of you who are participating, watching, and listening online with us also. And we encourage you all to uh, encourage one another that we may all be striving to do all we can to help each other as fellow Christians, that we may all be together one day with all the redeemed and Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit eternally. Keep those in your prayers that we've mentioned today, those in the bulletin, and we have a lot of folks who are sick, suffering, and hurting in various ways. Some are listed and some are not. Let's all keep for each other in our prayers. You may stand if you'd like. We're going to sing 463, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. And then Dave will lead us in a closing prayer, give thanks for all our blessings and the opportunity to return to the work of the church, to the Lord of our means.